news and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Really thrilled about this interview. Joining us in studio is Arizona Senator Sonny Borelli. Uh, first time I think you've been in this studio with me, and it's good to see you again. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been three years since I've seen you, uh, at least three years. I think yeah. it was a sports betting bill like years ago when yep. you were someplace else. But you've been here three years, and you're just now calling me into the studio. That's not true. I mean, come on, no, not you don't true. call, you don't ride. What's up with that? <laughs> we could have had some interesting conversations about the audit. We could have started there. Yeah, I would have actually set you straight. Yeah. I know you would have. I know you would have. Um, as a matter of fact, Senator Fan tried to do that very thing. Yeah. Um, let's talk about this Senate Bill 1063. Right. Um, the legislature is saying, the Republicans that are, and you being one of them, right. um, that rescinding this tax is going to be good for working families. Yes. Now, the pushback is cities are saying it's going to affect city services in a negative way. How do you respond? Hogwash. Okay. Hogwash. Uh, because they already have records, uh, uh, TPT, which is a state shared revenue. Um, as a matter of fact, I was a former city council member, and we always hear the same scare tactics. Oh, this is going to destroy the city. Police, the police department, the fire department is going to have to shut down, and we're going to lose, we're going to lose firemen. That's hogwash. I, I was a city council member in Lake Havasu. The, the main, you know, the, the priority is on the budget is police and fire. So you've already, the cities are, and towns already have uh, record revenues from uh, state shared revenue and uh, of course property tax okay then so there's only 65 cities in the state that are doing this and it's, it's actually very punitive to the taxpayer you're literally taxing people because they're hungry this is food that's cons- this is stuff that's consumed at home we're not talking about bars and restaurants we're not talking about uh, you know the, the local food store or ja- jack in a box or anything like that we're talking about food that's bought at the grocery store and consumed at home. You're literally taxing the hungry. You're, you're taxing people to survive. This is essential. Uh, it shouldn't. We shouldn't even be having this debate. Uh, cities should not be gouging uh, the citizens that uh, that live in their town or city. So why would even some Republicans at the city municipal level? Why would they be pushing back against this? Well, obviously they don't want to. They they believe they're going to be losing money. But you know what? When but we couldn't pass, they make that revenue up some other they've way? They've already made it up. As a matter of fact, you know when we passed a couple years ago, we finally you know passed a law to to we can start collecting off of Wayfair. So they've had record revenues coming in. As a matter of fact, since since uh, the new tax packages we've been been doing, the, you know their revenues have gone from fifteen percent on the, the taxable income or taxable revenues. Gone, it's going to go from fifteen percent to eighteen percent. So they're actually getting more. They're getting three percent more this next this next cycles uh, that the state's getting a state giving to them for state shared revenue. So the revenues are up and just on you know state shared revenue. The money's there. They're making more money than they did before. They obviously had this must have had this tax on there before that obviously so but they shouldn't be doing this you're taxing people to be able to eat it's just wrong do you have numbers on averages of what the average taxpayer is going to save in some of these cities if this if you guys pass this piece of legislation well the, the tax right now it ranges from uh, different cities and so at one one and a half percent to four percent on, on his, the sales tax and on four is a pretty good size tax. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. So I mean, we're just talking just swag, you know, uh, numbers. But just just by eliminating this tax, we're talking minimum uh, savings of five hundred dollars a year, depending on the family size, so on and so forth. But think about it. If you say five hundred dollars 
That buys a lot of eggs. Yeah, it does. Well, mean, it buys a lot of eggs. It doesn't oh, buy as many. Only a couple dozen. You know, I mean, but you know, uh, before it was like a couple. What, what was eggs about? Just under two dollars a sure. dozen. Now it's like almost six dollars a dozen, and that's ridiculous. And you got a family of you know three, four kids. You know, you're spending a lot of money every week. Uh, you know, you're saving. I mean, the average household is a thousand bucks a month of food. That's your food bill, right? Now, why would that be taxed? It's ridiculous. And you're like I said, you're taxing the poor, you're taxing people to survive. And this is just flat out wrong. We're not talking about the luxury going out to fast food or a restaurant or this or that. You know, some of these people just don't have that. I mean, so, uh, like I said, what do you have? What do you call extra money? Extra money is what you have before your car breaks down, right? Well, guess what? The car broke down. These people need to eat. Well, let's talk about the other side of this. When when uh, the Senate president was in here, he talked about the rental part of this and how uh, that, and he made a, the point that if you own a home, your mortgage isn't taxed when you pay it. But if you rent, which is usually lower income people, they are paying a tax to rent. Yeah. Well, that's, that's true. So the cities are already getting the property tax, okay? Um, and now they're going to be taxing the rental. So that's double, double taxation. That's, that's just that's another thing that's wrong. And, one, and those things range, I'm trying to find the numbers here. Once again, those tax ranges range from 1% to 4%. Now, the cost of a family is anywhere between, that. that's about 20 to $200 a month, depending yeah. on, on where they're renting from. So that's, again, you're taxing people to survive and shelter. We're talking about I heard you on the er, the show earlier where you talking about the homeless. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, here it is. This is this is one of the things that contribute. You can't afford the rent, and then the city's taking gouging the owner. And by the way, you, you tax the owner, but he's just passing that on onto his tenants. So once again, it's gouging. It's it's wrong. It shouldn't be happening. And they're already getting record numbers from of money coming in from property taxes. Which you know, this by the way, that rental tax doesn't go to the school district. It doesn't go to the police department. You know, so it's just wrong. So the key question here would be if you can get this passed through the Senate. The House bill passes. You get this through both chambers. What is the chances, if you had conversation with the governor's office, is this a piece of legislation she would sign into law? Well, there is a mirror bill. Representative Leo Biasucci, my seatmate, teammate from Lake Havasu, he's he's got the mirror bill in the House. And that got passed out of committee, but it was right down party line, which is really kind of a shame. shame, But but the Senate, we'll see what happens here in the Senate. I'm I'm hoping it's not just party line. Um, And, of course, there are mirror bills, and we're trying to get – we're trying to do that to fast track it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even put a, amend my bill to put an emergency clause on it as soon as if the governor signs it, it's effective immediately. So that way uh, we can get it in because people need instant. They need relief now. Right. I mean, when the inflation in the, in, in the statewide is, is 9 percent, you know, four years ago. It was like, you know, a one and a half percent. But, you know, it's, it's climbing and people need relief now. Joining us in studio is uh, Arizona Senator Sonny Borelli from Lake Havasu. So uh, so do you think the governor is going to sign this? Do you believe she will? I'll give it a 50-50. Okay. I mean, um, just by the posturing from her administration, I'm not I'm not going to hold my breath. But, uh, um, you know, it would be really disappointing if she did veto this bill. All right, yeah, you're gonna, you've agreed to stay one more segment with sure. us. I want to talk about some of the other things, education, the AEL, some other things that are going on. So Senator Burley is going to stay with us for one more segment. We'll be back here in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks for being here. Joining me in studio is Senator Sonny Borelli. Um, 
The AEL, the aggregate expenditure limitation is, or limit, is uh, another thing that's come up again this year. I've talked to the Senate president. We've talked to the Speaker of the House, and it seems to be a consensus that you guys have always stepped up to the plate and funded education. Why then are people gnashing their teeth and wondering if this is going to kill education in Arizona? Yes, and you're yes, correct. We've always stepped up and taken care of K-12 education, especially when, when, when we had the money, we were able finally to do a lot more. I and mean, we're already, we put over a billion dollars of K-12 from last year's budget. That's where we're at this limit. So for, and why people are gnashing their teeth is because they're listening to fake news. Somebody else's spin, they're saying that, once again, Republicans don't support educa- K-12 education, which, which is not true. Uh, and here we are. At this, so they're trying to create this panic and try to bully us to do something and speed up the process. It's going to get done. We've always stepped up and done it. We did it last year. We, so we're going to have to do it again. And I don't see a problem. Uh, people are just creating, once again, scare tactics to kind of create noise. And, uh, you know, it's fake news. We're going to step up and take care of it. We've always taken care of it when we hit this limit. And we've hit this limit several times. So to say that we don't fund education is you know, disingenuous. And by the way, Governor, or at that time, Senator Hobbs voted against the 20% pay raise. So, you know, these are the things that people get out there and they, they like I said, the fake news, they want to create their own little noise and, and create controversy where there really isn't any. People on our side of the aisle, I don't think, have a problem with spending the money on education to make sure kids get a quality education. The big concern I see from the conservative side of the aisle is accountability. Right. That they don't feel as if they know where the dollars are going and there isn't accountability even at the district level because they're so autonomous. Is there a way to get better transparency and accountability that would satisfy some of those concerns in people? Well, we've, we're, we're going to be trying several several different uh, angles to try to get that accountability. For example, the 20% pay raise over the three-year period. A lot of the schools in here in Phoenix area, teachers didn't get that pay raise. The administration kept it, and they gave themselves pay raises, and they didn't give that back down to the teachers where it was supposed to. So uh, that, that's just fundamentally wrong we give it to the we don't fund teachers we don't you know we give the money to the school district the school districts are responsible for taking care of that and we need to have some accountability and if we're saying we're going to give teachers a pay raise it should go to the teacher not to some some administrator that has a teaching credential that steps his foot you know in the classroom just once and then goes and gets some of that uh, prop 301 money so you know so these these are the things that just you know, need to be fixed. There needs to be some accountability. And you know what? It goes right back down to parental authority. Folks need to get in charge of what's going on in the schools. Parents need to start going to these school district meetings. They need to start getting involved because you're the customer and you're getting the, your, your tax dollars should be going to where they're supposed to be going. This is why people they are bailing out of the public education system and going to charter schools and the, AE, the uh, ESA program, which fits the needs when some families, I mean, some some families have one kid is getting there doing an ESA and the other one's in a public school. So it doesn't everybody every child has different needs and that's what school choice is all about and parental authority. Might, I might say, Senator uh, Sonny Borelli is joining us in studio. Uh, so let's talk about the ESA program since you brought it up. Yeah. Um, the governor has talked about the possibility of either uh, diminishing or closing in, narrowing who's available to get this. Can the governor do that? Do you believe she's going to try? And is she able to get that done? Well, she'll try. 
uh, but yeah. we're going to fight back with everything we got. I and mean, we're talking, you know, there's there's uh, mic- those uh, micro schools that are in in the city that are dig- doing extremely well. And it, you know what? It's cheaper on the tax for the taxpayer. It's seven thousand dollars compared to like Phoenix Unified. When you add up all K twelve, everything into the feeder districts going to Phoenix Union, we're talking twenty two thousand dollars per child. Uh, that was a couple years ago. I don't even know what it is right now. I got to double check, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's even more than twenty more than twenty two thousand uh, dollars per pupil when the ESA is seven thousand. It's fitting the needs of the, that child. Uh, and look, this is poor kids. We're talking, you know, neighborhoods where families, you know, parents don't want to send their kid to a, a school that's that's in trouble, failing schools or whatever. This is called parental authority, school choice, whatever you want to label you want to put on it. Uh, it the money, we, we fund the student, not the system. And if there's a better system that fits the needs of that child, that's that should be, you know, first and foremost, that's what we should be thinking about. Not, not a system. And I've had this argument with people, because I'm a big supporter of the ESA expansion, yeah. that the original plan with the ESA, the Empowerment Scholarship Account, was for special needs students so that a parent who understood better than anyone else the unique need of their child could take that money and do whatever whatever best for their child in its education. Mm -hmm. That same principle... It would be with any child, and it seems like why wouldn't you want to offer it to every child? Because just like you said, every child in a family is different. It just it makes perfect sense. Well, a few years back when uh, Rep- uh, Senator uh, Carlisle Begay, uh, Navajo, all right, we did the bill for the Navajo Nation. And uh, once again, the Democrats all pushed back on that. That was to take care of the Native Americans. And that's that's statewide. It's not just for the Navajo. We're talking about the other tribes that, that are within the state, too. They I, I've met with tribal leaders have said, please keep the ESA program. It's really working great for us. Don't let the governor gut it or, 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 or take it away from us. And so. Uh, so these are the things that uh, are, that are on the table that you know we, we shouldn't even be messing around with because we're talking about education. If we don't capture these kids, these kids don't capture a good education, a good foundation. Now, what happens years to come? Right. And uh, you know, you, you I've heard you talk about your whole background, your your life, you know, your life on, on school, and not everybody's cut out for school. Some yeah. are better for the traits, which we go into the community colleges, which we need. And to the CTEDs, the CTEDs yeah. are yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Um, last question is about the border. The governor recently is said that she's going to continue to bus and fly migrants out of Arizona, yeah. but she says she's doing it in a more humane way. Uh, what, is, what does she mean by that? But are you happy that the, that the program is continuing? Uh, well, Governor Ducey did it to bring awareness to the admin, Biden administration that uh, this is hurting us. Well, yeah, she's doing it in a humane way. Yeah, she's putting on running 737s and putting them on a nice airplane and flying them to the destination of their choice. So, hey, folks, maybe you need to find out, call Katie Hobbs' office and find out if you can catch one of those flights or any one of those, those spots that you want, might want to go to and, and get on a seat with that airplane that's going uh, maybe to, who knows, Vancouver or, you know, New York or wherever, you know, maybe some other mm-hmm. garden spot like Tennessee or something. Who knows? But maybe you can get some of the other citizens might be able to do that. By the way, that's not what that money that we gave to the Border, border Security Strike Force was all it was supposed to be for about. It's about securing the border. We have a, an invasion of drug smugglers, human traffickers, sex traffickers coming across the border with the impunity. I mean, we have you've seen the numbers sure. that the Border Patrol has found people that are on the terrorist watch list. This is a public safety, national security issue. 
fentanyl overdoses are, are through the roof. This is I can't believe that we're even having that type of a conversation. I'm doing it in a more humane way. Excuse me. You're hurting the citizens of Arizona by you treating these special class of people uh, that shouldn't be here in the first place because the Biden. She's what? Look, she's an open borders type of person. We know what it is. It is what it is. So why hide it? Well, Senator, I appreciate the time today. And as this bill progresses, I'd love to hear from your office and kind of track it and see if we end up getting this turned into law and we get these taxes wiped out. But I really appreciate the perspective as always, and it's great to see you. Thank you. Improve your net and hire a vet. All right. That's a, that is a great way of putting it. That is uh, Sonny Borelli, Senator from Lake Havasu here in the state legislature. I'll be back here in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. And a big thank you to Senator Sonny Borelli spending some time with us. We're going to have as many legislators in. And I want you to know we've, we are reaching out to people on the other side of the aisle. We're going to reach out to the Democrats uh, on the issues. We also are going to reach out to the cities that are saying that uh, killing these taxes would be detrimental to cities. We want to give you both sides of the conversation. But a big thank you to Senator Borelli for coming in and talking with us. Um, I want to shift gears just for a couple of moments um, on what's going on. The superintendent uh, of public schools, uh, Tom Horn, is canceling a a program – um, called the the SEL or, or social emotional learning presentations. So I want to read a little bit, just a couple of lines of this to you to kind of let set you up what's going on here. Um, Republican Tom Horn returned to leading the Arizona Department of Education. The Collaborative for Academic, Social and Emotional Learning, a national nonprofit credited uh, with developing a concept of social emotional learning, describes it as a tool to help young people regulate their emotions and establish and maintain relationships and show empathy for others and skills in an organization or essential to learning. Uh, the Horn administration is saying that this uh, is not, it's more of a distraction. So they're going to they're gonna end this. Now, um, instead of it becoming a big battle, instead of it becoming a major fight, the conversation for me needs to be about why is the superintendent saying this and is he right? And I would say to you, He's right in a big in 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 a to large extent, um, and I want to give you the opposing views as far as what I consider to be ideology. This is out of the state of Iowa, but it is it echoes the feeling for many people. Iowa school board members get ripped for saying public education is not to teach kids what parents want. I want to read from a Facebook post of something that was posted by this school board. It said the purpose of public education is not to teach kids what parents want. It is to teach them what society needs them to know. The client is not the parent, but the community. Now, there are many people that agree with that statement. And I would tell you it scares me. And I, I, parents have an absolute right, like anything else, parents have an absolute right to dictate what's taught to their kids. They are not the teachers. They are not the experts in the coursework. But here in Arizona, this is something that all of us have to face. We have children that can't read. And I will. There's nothing more dangerous. And you're you're listening to someone who every time I talk about this, I laugh at myself and my own hypocrisy. I really do. I was a terrible high school student. Terrible. If if my high school teachers heard me talking about education like I'm talking about it now, they would laugh because of how 
little I cared when I was in my high school years. I just wanted to work. And I did. I worked in restaurants. First job when I was 12. By the time I was 15 years old, I was working full-time in restaurants. I just thought making money, sweat on my brow, I'd get through. I was going to be okay. The saving grace for me was when I turned 18 and I moved into a trade and I realized here I have an opportunity at a career and not just a job. And I needed – I had to learn. I had a lot to learn about that trade. And I did. I became a journeyman in four years, which was the minimum time requirement to be a journeyman electrician. I was a master electrician in six years. In six years, I became the manager of a small company. Not a big one, but a small company. And for a guy that had only been in the business six years, I was the boss. I'm not a remarkable person. I just found my direction and I had a skill set to learn. This to me is the foundation that every teacher should be thinking about. Every parent should be thinking about. Every administrator should be thinking about, which is we have to focus on giving them the tools. When they rely on those tools, when they decide to use those tools is completely up to them. You know, my youngest brother, I've told a story about my youngest brother. He graduated from high school very high in his class, went on to graduate from college with honors. Same family, different path to success. But I had the tools to learn. My biggest fear is with all of these other things, I don't even want to talk about the validity of social emotional learning, SEL, critical race theory. For me, this is my personal opinion on this. It isn't whether or not they're good or bad. I have my opinions, but that's not what we should be arguing about. We should be arguing about priority, prioritizing. If you think about both sides of the aisle here, one is talking about getting rid of these programs because they're a distraction or they're bad or whatever else. The other side is talking about we don't have enough money to give teachers pay that they need. We are underfunded. So let's do address both issues. If a school is underfunded, if the school districts are underfunded, just like you and your family, if you are having trouble paying your bills, when money gets very tight, what does your family do? You stick to the priorities. You pay your mortgage. You pay your power bill. You pay your water bill. You pay your car insurance. You pay for your vehicle. And then you start knocking stuff off after you buy food that you can't afford. And you may you, they may feel like a necessity now, but you don't have to have this or ha, you, know, you don't. I have a I have a lot of friends don't have cable, never had cable, even before streaming was around. My point is everybody that I know of prioritizes based on their situation. So if you are someone in the public school system that's on the left side of this argument, if you're one of the teacher organizations and you're complaining that there's not enough money in the school system, then you should be saying to people that agree with you, we can't implement these necessary programs like social emotional learning or critical race theory because all of our money is going to the core curriculum and we're selling these kids short. And then I would say to you, once they can read at grade level and third grade, once they are performing math skills at the eighth grade level, then you can talk about implementing something else. I'll go back to an analogy because I love sports analogies. I was a football coach. I coached Pop Warner football, and which doesn't sound like a big deal, except I lived in a place where it was a religion. And I coached high school football at the highest level. We were, a, you know, we were a, a state powerhouse when I was coaching as an assistant coach. And it didn't matter. Day one of practice was basics. And we always worked on the basics. 
lineman drills with a two by six board, line splits with a fire hose. And if you're out there in a coach, you know what I'm talking about. We went over the fundamentals of blocking and tackling, route running as a receiver, coverage, all of the basics. Because if you don't have the basics, you can't teach anything else. And until you can do the basics, we don't move on to the next thing. And any coach that goes out there and starts teaching, um, I'm, I know I'm talking in terms that are going to go over people's heads that don't don't coach. But you don't teach a passing tree to a kid. You don't teach a lot of the different um, of, um, specifics of a position until they have the basics. And that's the same way in all of life. When I started out as an electrician, I was a helper. I wasn't even an apprentice. Until you start learning the names of the tools and the equipment that you use on a job site, until you know what a nail-in box is or a fan uh, pancake box, and I know uh, a recessed can light, until you know wire sizing, until you understand those terms, there's no point in trying to teach you anything else. And if we don't take that approach in education, we are selling these kids short. We're giving kids an education on what the community thinks they should know, and they can't spell what the community thinks they should know. They couldn't spell the word community. They can't read. So this is a topic that I am going to continue to jump on. We have got to get back to basics. I don't want to fight with people on the other side as if somehow I'm calling them bad people. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it's hard to argue with me, I I believe, and the public school system when the public school system is not meeting the minimum requirements of education for these kids. Once the kids meet the minimum, when you've got 75, 80% of third graders that can read at grade level, then come and talk to the citizenry about doing other things in the curriculum. Until then, how can you possibly focus on anything else? That doesn't sound unreasonable to me. Coming up in a moment, um, there is an interesting board. It is a dietary guideline committee with the USDA that the president has assigned. One doctor has an interesting take on obesity. Why am I doing this? Because I think it's fascinating. We'll talk about it coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. an interesting dynamic with that song. It is such a happy sounding song until you realize what the words mean and then it's creepy. Um, But it's a great song. Thanks for being here, by the way. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, This story struck me as I read it this morning uh, because um, this is uh, Dr. I don't know if it's pronounced Fatima or Fatima Cody on CNN talking about obesity. Now, she is an advisor to the Biden administration, and it's not this isn't a criticism of Biden in this. It's interesting that this is someone that's a doctor that is advising the president of the United States, or at least this panel is is a dietary um, advisor. And this is her opinion on obesity. If you diet, 
you lose weight, right? The number one cause of obesity is genetics. That means if you are born to parents that have obesity, you have a 50 to 85% likelihood of having the disease yourself, even with optimal diet, exercise, sleep management, stress management. So when people see families that have obesity, the assumption is, what are they feeding those kids? Here's here's the problem I have with this. And they are telling they are what they're saying. And I'm hearing maybe that's not what they mean. Here's what I'm hearing, that if you're overweight, it's not your fault. And I would say to you that that is not true. I was looking up this morning. There's some great stories of people overcoming um, that have transformed their bodies uh, amazingly. I mean, hundreds of pounds in weight loss. And it's not just the weight loss, but getting in shape and building muscle and building stamina and being healthier. Um, there is something out there where people can change their bodies. There is a lifestyle change that can happen for people, a much healthier lifestyle. How many times? And I am not close to being a vegetarian. Um, not at all. Um, I am a carnivore, but how many people have we heard that have gone to a plant based lifestyle and we've seen them change their bodies dramatically? Um, and so, yeah, is there, uh, are they, there are things that are genetic? Sure, there are. You know, I have high cholesterol. It runs in my family. I have high blood pressure. I was diagnosed with severe hypertension. My mom has hypertension. My brother has hypertension. It's something that's in my family. But that doesn't mean that I am stuck in one place or another in my life. You can change. It was one of the things I liked about being able to go to the gym is seeing results when you go. Um, That doesn't mean it's harder or easier. There are plenty of people. You know, again, I've told this story so many times of growing up when I was a Pop Warner football player. I was teammates with Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders and I played Pop Warner football together for two years. I watched him play football, baseball, and basketball all through his high school career. Then he went to Florida State and played football and baseball. And then he went on to the NFL and the Major League Baseball. He's a Hall of Famer. You can't tell me that genetics didn't play a role. But if the guy didn't work hard, he'd never be where he was. He had the rare combination of determination, and he was blessed genetically. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other people, and you've heard about others, that are not big and strong and fast that succeed in the NFL. They just have to work at it differently. So is there some kind of, is it easier for some people? I will tell you that when I was, until I was in my early 30s, I ate whatever I wanted and never gained a pound. I was rail thin. I wrestled at 128 pounds when I was in high school. Um, I was a very small kid. Then I put on weight. Then I got married and I couldn't believe how much weight I put on. And that I lost the weight and I went back in the gym and I started to build muscle into my 50s. Um, it's hard work sometimes because your body does change. You have to do things. But the idea that someone that's an advisor to the White House is going on national television and saying to a generation, if you're overweight, it's not your fault. You've just been born into the into a bad gene pool. That's just not true. That's not even scientifically accurate. She's giving a lot more of an opinion right now than I am. I'm telling you based on, first of all, my personal journey, you know, there's nothing genetically gifted about me. I'm 5'8 on a good day. Um, And so you see people that are able to overcome through hard work. Uh, That doesn't mean it's going to be easy for you. It doesn't mean it's simple. There are some people that can just change what they eat. When I was in my mid-30s, I ate fast food all the time. I was in the construction business. 
if I thought, man, I got to lose some weight, I would only eat half of my double Whopper. You know what I mean? And half the fries. That was my meal plan. Well, when you get to be 38, 39, 40, a meal plan doesn't work anymore. You know, I can drive by a bakery and gain a pound or two. But what you end up doing is you realize that you can control more than that you think. So I'm not trying to make a mountain out of a molehill here. It's just when I hear somebody in this field give an opinion that the biggest reason why you're overweight is your genetics, that's not true. There are people out there, there are people out there that are, have a more difficult time than others losing weight and they get the help they need to lose that weight. They change things around. They do their homework. They get educated on it and they end up having Raving success and becoming. I just saw a picture of a guy that was motivated. It was a news story this morning, motivated by a Navy SEAL to get back in shape. This guy lost over a hundred pounds. This dude is ripped. He looks like a, he looks like a male model now. I mean, six pack abs, ripped to shreds, and just looks amazing. I look like the same person. He's talked about it not being easy, but he was committed to doing it. Those are the stories that we should be telling people. Those are the stories that people need to hear. All right, coming up just after 10 o'clock, um, how well did the economy do in 2022? How did we end the year? And how do we look moving into 2023? We'll talk about both next.